0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Caring Economy on on Spotify with me, Toby Usnick. Today, I'm really thrilled to have my colleague and friend, my client actually, Art Bilger, who is the co-founder of Working Nation, which is a fantastic organization that is focused on structural unemployment. As well, Art has been a, a very successful venture capitalist throughout his career. And a noted philanthropist. So we're going to take the next half hour to bring Art into our living room and share with you some of uh, his take on what responsible business looks like and uh, how he has succeeded at it. Uh, Art, we're going to start by just uh, asking you to tell us a little bit of uh, yourself, a sort of brief overview of your professional journey. And what's of particular interest to our audience are the pivots that you've made along the way, the inflection points that have helped you move from one position to the next. So um, feel free, share stories about your days with Ted Turner, Michael Milken, whatever you think uh, would be revelatory as well. So
1: listen over. Thank
0: you. Thanks, Toby. Uh, Toby, Thanks for inviting me to do
1: this. Happy to do so. Um, So to that question, uh, the beginning of my business career was when I graduated from the University of Chicago, and before that, the University of Pennsylvania. I went to work for a little unknown investment banking firm at the time called Drexel Burnham. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure anyone even told me a guy named Mike Milken worked there at the time. Uh, I was one of the first corporate finance associates hired uh, there by Fred Joseph, the Walton, who was the CEO of the firm. Anyway, uh, as many of you probably are aware, Drexel Burnham did (laughs) take off a bit. I like to... i like to think it was my arrival, but um, I'd like to think that, but um, that'd be a little overstated. Anyway, uh, worked originally in New York and then moved to LA in the early, uh, eighties. And I was on the corporate finance side and I would be working with corporations in their financing needs, M and A needs, et cetera. And to a point that Tony, uh, Toby just made, uh, in like 1985, I met a really interesting guy. His last name was Turner, first name Ted, and I became investment banker for Turner Broadcasting and did a lot with Turner, buying MGM, helping keep CNN out of bankruptcy. I brought him Hanna-Barbera so he could start the Cartoon Network. And I mentioned that because that had significant influence in many of the things I've done afterwards, including the creation of Working Nation, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Uh, post Drexel, uh, I was one of the founders of Apollo Advisors, uh, private equity fund, and you know did a r- range of things there, but did a lot of media. Uh, continued to, in the media world, and ultimately we created the largest Fox affiliate group in the United States by p- pulling together two bankrupt bro- uh, broadcast TV broadcasters, one healthy one. Uh, By the way, I'll also mention that we—I was the one who bought uh, control of the um, uh, the debt of Telemundo when it was in bankruptcy in '92. Mm -hmm. You didn't have to be so smart to uh, uh, see the opportunity. (laughs) Think Hispanic broadcasting might be an opportunity, given I lived in Los Angeles. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Uh, Anyway, uh, we put together those other two bankrupt broadcasters—one healthy one. And courtesy of a giant check from Rupert Murdoch, we changed all the affiliations to Fox. And I actually went in and ran the company. So for about, I think it was about two and a quarter years, Mm -hmm. uh, I ran New World Communications, which is what we had created. Uh, We were not New York, LA, Chicago, but we were Tampa, Atlanta, Dallas, Detroit, Cleveland, St. Louis, et cetera. Um, So that gave me real hardcore experience operating uh, something. Mm -hmm. And uh, following what happened is Rupert finally came along, insisted on owning the whole thing, didn't need me. And so I moved on looking at other things. And about a year and a half later, I totally, by accident, ended up in a whiteboard session at MIT. Uh, What had happened is a not-for-profits board that I was sitting on. I went to a board meeting and a guy leaned over and said, Art, you're not doing anything. Uh, Why don't you come to... uh, uh, Cambridge and meet the smartest human being you'll ever meet in your life. And I said, sure, I'll do that. Mm-hmm. Jumped on a plane the next week and, as I said, went to MIT, got a whiteboard session uh, by a professor and his PhD student on how they were going to speed up the internet. Uh, fast forward, this was the startup of Akamai Technologies. I ended up as one of the original investors in Akamai and vice chairman of the board team was very interested in me because of my ties to many media companies. uh, Also my ties to Wall Street and money for funding for the company. Anyway, we'll sit here today, Uh, world's changed a lot, but Akamai Technologies is a very successful piece of the internet backbone in this uh, country. Companies have done extremely well. Uh, That led to lots of other venture capital experimentation. Um, and that's what I've primarily done. One thing in particular has had big influence. In 2002, Mike Milken called me up and asked me to invest in an uh, online education company. Mm-hmm. That he and his brother and Larry Ellison of Oracle were funding and Bill Bennett, former secretary of the treasury and Ron Packard were the founders. I was already thinking about education via digital platforms. I was watching my kids get the finest education from private schools in LA and I wanted to figure out how do you deliver that education to kids 10 miles 100 miles a thousand miles away so I told Mike I would join the board Uh, I would I'd invest in the company but only if I could join the board and the executive Mm -hmm. committee fast forward I got very deeply involved uh, and the company was a company called K-12, which today is a real company. And unf- I, should, I don't know if I should use the word unfortunately. Unfortunately, thriving now, courtesy of the uh, pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not involved with the company anymore, so I don't know really the details. But I do know the stock has ranged from 15 to 52 in the last 12 months. Um, anyway, that has led to a particular area of investment for me in terms of the education and technology world. Mm-hmm. As a matter of mm-hmm. fact, I even had a meeting yesterday on what looks like a very, very interesting, uh, another ed tech company. So, we'll see. Uh, uh,
0: and, and Art, when you've done these, um, these investments and when you've gone after these or worked with these great brands, uh, you've you've been a purpose-driven person your whole career. I, I know this because I've worked with you. But how has that infused those pivots along the way from Apollo to Fox to, and the Telemundo acquisition to the trip to the momentous trip to MIT? Um, it seems to me that you've always had this moral compass pointing north, and that has influenced your decisions as well. You know, I guess I was just
1: what I used to like to say is it's better to be lucky than smart. <laughs> and to be very honest with you, I actually believe a lot of it's luck, <laughs> you know, being at the right place at the right time. But then the key is, can you capitalize on the luck? And cause I really believe finding my way to Drexel Burnham when no one ever even heard of this firm. No one ever heard of Mike Milken at the time. Uh, you know, uh, the uh, online education thing that Mike came to me with, you know, just, it was a lucky moment, mm-hmm. but then it's a matter of how, how do you then take advantage? And I think I've done a pretty good job taking advantage of the luck that has come my way mm-hmm. uh, over my life.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, we are with Art Bilger, the founder of Working Nation, the fantastic nonprofit focused on structural unemployment. He's a highly uh, accomplished venture capitalist and philanthropist. Art. Let's jump right into Working Nation for our audience. Uh, you, in your your evolution, you have really, for several years now, tried to awaken business leaders and public policy people around structural unemployment and what's coming—the slope of the curve, which you talk about. Um, can you tell us a little bit about Working Nation, uh, the nonprofit for profit that you started, and um, and then I'll we'll ask you a little bit more about some of the the brands that have supported you. The the corporately responsible businesses that have come behind you. Yeah.
1: Uh, we as, as Toby mentions, working nation is a not for profit media enterprise to educate the people of this country as to what I was saying for a long time, the most critical issue facing our nation. Um, you know, I may have to move it over to a second spot, give it courtesy of the uh, pandemic. Although the pandemic, I fully expect that there'll be a vaccine. Mm-hmm. And so we will solve it. Obviously, it's terrible along the way, and the people are ill and the people dying. But there will be a vaccine. Mm-hmm. There's no vaccine for structural unemployment. And so I still refer to it as possibly the most critical issue we face in this nation. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, the pandemic has accelerated that dramatically. Um, Anyway, um, what happened was a lot of things came together in my head. This really started about six and a half years ago when I started thinking about how we had four variables coming together like never before in history. Globalization, technology, longevity, units of labor staying in the workforce longer, and broken education, particularly relative to those other three things happening and i really started doing a lot of research uh, and speaking with experts and really concluded that we had a real potential at the time i was saying over the next 10 15 20 years of having a very significant uh, unemployment situation in uh, this country Um, and a lot of that because we just weren't aware of it and people weren't thinking about how to you know had to come up with the uh, alternative uh, means. Um, and I would speak to you know, really very knowledge, giant fund managers, top corporate executives, and the number of times it was either said to me in a meeting or I got a follow-up email from someone saying, Art, I can't believe how you've opened my eyes to the world that my children and my grandchildren would be living. In. Wow. Uh, it was really quite something. Um, anyway, I ultimately concluded that this is a serious issue and how do we deal with it? And uh, Toby made reference to the the term slope of the curve. Mm -hmm. Uh, The first motivation uh, here is that the slope of the curve of the change in jobs and skills when measured against time has never been so steep. And I had concluded that it's so steep uh, obviously, it's steepened since the virus, right. um, but I concluded so steep, we don't have time for white papers and conferences to educate the people of this nation. Mm-hmm. And having a, you know pretty strong media background, having hung, out, hung around with Ted Turner and Rupert Murdoch and whatever, um, I really did understand the power of media to educate basically all audiences uh, you know, whether it's the individuals at the very top of organizations of any sort who can, you know, who can make a difference if they understood. They could walk into the head of HR and say, hey, you see what XYZ company is doing? Why aren't we doing something like that for her? So that's audience one. But listen, TV and movies, you know, that influences them. Um, audience two that we decide to go after was uh, people who are working on solutions because, and we were focused on solutions to all of this being at the local level, what companies are doing, what what not-for-profits doing, what academic entities, what local government are doing. I discovered there was a lot going on out there, but there was no visibility. And so, you know, again, media can open people's eyes, especially in today's digital world. Yes, where, you, know, you can access millions and millions of sets of eyeballs on a, without too much uh, difficulty. Um, and then audience three uh, is just mom and pop and young people across this country. Because again, I said, we can't wait for conferences and white papers to educate them as to where the jobs of the future will be mm-hmm. and mitigating strategies and solutions. Now, you know, I mentioned the slope of the curve being a, a very primary motivation for me and working nation for moving forward. Motivation two was the one that people, I really saw people didn't understand, mm-hmm. uh, probably more recognition now courtesy of the virus, but basically what I was focused on is the, the squeeze on the middle class. Yes, there's the bottom 20%, but my concern as a result of those four variables coming together at the same time, uh, the bottom 20% could become the bottom 30, the bottom 40, the bottom 50%. And two examples I used almost since the beginning, I used the driverless vehicle as an example. Yep. And I think driving for, the, for, the, for a living might be the, the, the largest job uh, area in I think some like 30 states Mm-hmm. in this country. And that's a middle-class job in this country. And, you know, I don't know if it's over the next five, 10, 15, 20 years, but many, many of those jobs will disappear. The other example I've always used, and this is an area I'm deeply involved in, is the, um, how a marketing department of 10 will become a marketing department of two mm-hmm. because of data and analytics. Mm-hmm. And those eight jobs disappearing are terrific white-collar Uh, middle-class and upper-middle-class jobs throughout this country. Data and analytics, you know, within the next five or 10 years, there won't be an aspect of business, government, or the not-for-profit world that isn't driven by data and analytics. So, yes, it'll change a lot of things, but possibly one of the fastest-growing job areas in this country is data and analytics. It happens to be an area that I was... a founding funder of the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania the Wharton School's whole data and analytics program be- beginning back in uh, 2008 so that's an example of the type of story we want to tell because it you know it there there, we, there are today and there will be over the next 10 years so many interesting job open, uh, openings for people who have proper training and skills and it doesn't just take an MIT data scientist or a Wharton, you know, major.
0: Right. So, Art, you've, um, uh, ladies and gentlemen, again, we're with Art Bilger, founder of Working Nation and a seasoned venture capitalist. Art, when you have, not only does Working Nation shine the light on structural employment to raise awareness, but you're also shining the light on solutions, the, as you've just said, the data analytics. I know also you've done a lot around the healthcare industry, healthcare workers, which are even in more demand now of COVID. Can you talk um, not so much about the government, the public policy folks, the foundations, but about the business partners that Working Nation has had to uh, sort of illustrate the role of responsible business? I know you've done things with JP Morgan and with Comcast. Um, Give us a little flavor, if you would, of those corporate partners and how they've engaged with this issue of structural unemployment.
1: Well, Uh, as you mentioned, we have worked with J.P. Morgan and Comcast. Um, There have been a handful of other, you know, an active conversation with all kinds of entities, businesses, et cetera, uh, Walmart and others. But I'd say we have, going beyond corporations, we've got an incredible rate of organizations and partnerships that we've uh, developed. You know, you know, good example, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, mm-hmm. we've done work with before, they have now come to us wanting to us to be effectively like a media partner uh, on workforce related stuff that they're uh, interested in focusing on. Same thing happened uh, with the National Governors Association. Um, then others that we're partners with is uh, the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta, uh, mm-hmm. We're doing something. We're actually in discussion with the Federal Reserve Bank of Philadelphia right now about doing something potentially in Philadelphia in October. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Then there's uh, others. There's South by Southwest. We're the media partner for South by Southwest Education come ASU, GSV, same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, you got places like the Milken Institute, who we work very, very uh, closely with. Uh, and then, uh, our, a good range of universities have partnered with us on various uh, things with the U- Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania, Rutgers, Cornell Technion uh, on uh, one of our media events. Um, I'm sure there are, there are others.
0: <laughs> so um, Art, um, you uh, might want to talk a little bit about the healthcare workers. I know what you started uh, with the, the, was it the, the AIDS, the healthcare AIDS and sort of, your reputation is spreading around the country.
1: Yeah, well, I um, one of the things I've thought about for a long time, unrelated to Working Nation, but from an investment standpoint, is business opportunities mm-hmm. that will result from the aging of the population. Mm-hmm. And I've you know, involved myself in some interesting things, pretty, <laughs> pretty wild um but one i was actually going to start a company um to um train but train significantly um home healthcare workers mm-hmm. i had watched my father develop alzheimers and live for about 7 about 7 8 years before he died terrible thing to watch Mm -hmm. but my mother was there and she was in good shape and they had the resources to take care of him. When I heard at an event that uh, one out of every two to three uh, people who it's the age of 85 will develop Alzheimer's, I said, whoa, Mm -hmm. that is not uh, something, uh, that's not a disease tied to net worth. Mm -hmm. How are we gonna deal with that? And one of the things I decided to do, first, uh, my wife and I uh, supported uh, a fair amount of uh, Alzheimer's research at the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, But then I also said, why not train home healthcare workers in medical specialties? Mm -hmm. Uh, And Alzheimer's is not a disease you die from quickly. So training in medical specialties and Alzheimer's being number one was an objective of mine. Unfortunately, uh, <laughs> the ideas around working nation distracted me, so I never moved uh, that forward. But it did cause me to go look for uh, terrific training programs for home healthcare workers, which I believe also will be one of the fastest growing jobs in this country. And actually, courtesy of the pandemic now, to watch what's happening in nursing homes where you're having the by far the greatest number of deaths, I'm wondering whether there's gonna be a big, big push to home healthcare uh, in the future as a uh, a result. Um, Anyway, it's one of the fastest growing job areas. So we have told the story at Working Nation of an organization such as PHI National, which is uh, in New York City, that trains home healthcare workers. And uh, the goal of telling that is one for the average person to be aware of it, but also other solution people who, might, who could learn from that. We've seen examples of that where you know, a healthcare union somewhere saw our PHI piece and immediately you know, got in touch and wanted to learn more and see how they might develop you know, such a program. So we've seen that type of example.
0: Uh, again, ladies and gentlemen, we are with Art Belger, the founder of Working Nation, which focuses on structural unemployment. He's also a seasoned venture capitalist. Um, We have about uh, five more minutes, Art. I know um, how inspirational Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning, was for you, this Holocaust survivor's book. And I wonder if you might tell our audience a little bit about that, and in particular, the the purpose aspect of it.
1: Yeah. Um, A very important theme at Working Nation is the link between employment and purpose in life. A matter of fact, uh, I think about a year and a half ago, We did a town hall event here in Los Angeles at the Skirball Cultural Center, where we brought top religious leaders from a wide range of religions together to discuss what they were seeing employment-wise in their own communities, but also this whole idea of the linkage between employment and purpose in life. The way that came to be was probably during the fall, fall winter of 15, 2015, I don't know, I heard something. I was at a think tank up in Palo Alto. Someone said something. I just started thinking about my own life and what I did. And I really concluded that, unrelated to dollars and cents, how, dri- how driven the various things I wor- I was involved in, really energized me. Mm-hmm. And granted, look, I work with some pretty interesting people also, you know, Turner, Milken, and others. Danny Lewin at Akamai, Tom Layton at Akamai. Um, But I, um, what I then started thinking about was the average American out there. And I started thinking about the assembly line worker Mm -hmm. and I thought about them. I talked to people and ultimately I concluded that they too, there was a link between employment and purpose in life. Um, you know, they're part of a team. They get up Monday morning, they're going to go, they're going to produce. Uh, they bring home income, feed the family, educate the family. They're part of the community. As Rabbi David Wolpe, who was on our panel at the Skirball, said, what, at the beginning of the panel, he says, what's one of the first things you're asked when you meet someone? What do you do? Mm-hmm. Anyway, what really accelerated this was uh, in early 16, a woman from my TV days showed up at my doorstep with the movie rights to Victor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning. Mm-hmm. If you haven't read it. You should read it. It's on the Library of Congress's 10 most influential books ever published uh, in the United States, I think. Uh, I was not interested in making a movie. I was aware of the book, but had not read it. I read the book and it was just a perfect fit in this theory of mine about the link between employment and purpose of life. Mm-hmm. Basically, Victor Frankl, who survived you know, concentration camps, including... Um, Auschwitz, he was a psychologist pre-World War II in Vienna, uh, he came out with a theory that it was those people who had, seemed to have greater uh, meaning in life were the ones who had a greater probability of surviving the concentration camp experience. And uh, I will tell you, it's made a real change in the way I think about a lot of things. I've brought the book to many people's attention, and I will tell you the number of thank you notes that I have gotten. I highly recommend,
0: if you haven't read it, read it. It's a quick read, but it's really very insightful. And thank you for introducing that to the book, Art. So uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is Art Bilger, the founder of Working Nation and The Venture Capitalist. Art, we have about 30 seconds left for you to give us any final thoughts on purpose and uh, Working Nation. And um, over to you. Uh,
1: Well, as I uh, said, these employment issues have been accelerated. Uh, This is a very, very serious issue. But I really believe there are solutions but we must educate the people of our nation as to where the jobs will be and the solutions. Where can they get the skills? And education, I think education's gonna change quite a bit in this country, Um, but I'm an optimist. I really believe there will be employment for people who want in this country. It's just a matter of finding the right set of skills that will fit for those jobs of the future check out
0: workingnation.com which is the website and you'll you'll learn a lot here here thank you again art bilger and the team at working nation and we will be in touch next week with our audience